load, ride the lightning, and master some puppets because we're going to talk about Metallica. Ash, how are you? I am great. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm so excited about this episode. This You've is, been saying this, yeah. <laughs> this, this is this band is a band that I, I've known about and maybe knew two songs of until the last couple years. Uh-huh. But I, or, like it's like they were like too much for me. Like I was scared of them. <laughs> Those hooligans. Yeah, exactly. Like this With was the just, long hair. Yeah, the long hair and the heavy metal and the skulls on everything. The head banging. But I, I felt there was this episode of Billions, which is a show I think we both watched. You watch Billions? Uh, not really. I've seen it. Well, well, there's an episode of Billions where there's consistently good music references in Billions, and there's a whole episode where they play the song Master of Puppets over and over again. Sweet. And it was that moment that clicked that I was like, okay, time to just dive into Metallica. It's time for me to just understand <laughs> what the deal, and that, that'll happen to me with the band. Like years later, I'll be like, okay, time to learn every single album of Talking Hits. Yeah. Or, or, so I did that with Metallica a couple of years ago. So I'm very excited to talk about them tonight. Now, how about you? What is your instant reaction when I say Metallica? How do they touch your life enter sandman is the first thing that always comes to mind because that's probably my favorite song by them and i know it's probably the cliched song but it's just such a good song it is a great song it's just oh, i just love it do you remember but, that do you remember that oh, video uh, vaguely okay we'll talk about the video go on. later was it good it's like terrifying it's like just this kid in a bed with a strobe light and interspersed yes! shots of that old man watching him yes, sleep. Yes, yes, I do remember that now. Is he yeah. the Sandman or just his grandfather? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, but the other thing that comes to mind when I hear Metallica is Napster. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Another era that is not really covered in this behind the music. At all. It's not. I think this is way before Napster because Napster is like 99. Yeah, it's like this ends right before Napster. It all kicks off. Yeah. yeah. This is like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is like Rogue One, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Napster. And did you, did you, while Napster was happening, did you have an opinion? Were you in, on Team Metallica or on Team Napster? Oh, no, I was on Team Napster. Uh, but... I, and I know that's like kind of like contradictory because I want to be like a writer and stuff like this, and I don't want people to steal my stuff. But um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary about Tower Records. No, but I. Oh, you dude, had me at documentary about Tower Records. Are you kidding me? It's so good. It's it's directed by Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son. Uh, so I've already I, like. Have we talked about my love of Colin Hanks? I don't think we have because I have a massive love of Colin. I Hanks. am an early adopter, Orange County. Remember that oh, movie? Oh, yes. Fan of Colin Hanks. I have rooted for Colin Hanks in every single thing he's been in. I I saw that movie with Malkovich. Uh, I love Colin Hanks. I watched that show he did with Bradley Whitford. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I just, because I love Tom Hanks. He's, he's in my top five actors of all time. And obviously Colin just looks the exact same as as his father and i'm like oh, i love it but anyways in this documentary they do they talk about napster and they were talking about how it came about and how it affected the music industry and a lot of the they interviewed a lot of executives like 
Sony music and, you know, BMG and all this stuff. And they said, like, we really screwed up here because people were like, we don't want to buy a whole album for 20 bucks because back then CDs were expensive. Oh, yeah. You know, and they were like, well, you know, we kind of get it now. They didn't want to pay 20 bucks for a whole song or for a whole album when they only wanted a song. Um, we should have just kept going with the singles for like 99 cents or a buck or whatever. And Napster probably wouldn't have affected us that much, which is what I'm getting at. Like this, this whole like rights distribution and, you know, money making, like make this stuff work for you. People will pay, but we don't want to be extorted for it. So I was totally team Napster. Uh, yeah. And I think history has bared that out, right? Like how many people just have Spotify now or Apple music? Now? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Quite... I mean, well, that, that, that came up cause they're like, yeah, a few years later, like, um, iTunes came up and you could buy a song for a buck or whatever. But the thing that really angers me about the whole Napster situation is that Sean Fanning got sued by everybody twice. And this is a kid who made this like thing in, the, in his basement. It's like, if you had any brains as an executive, you would have gone to this kid and said, how did you do this what have you done show us how to do it yeah but he did the he did the exact same thing steve jobs did just steve jobs went up there in like a turtleneck five years later and went hey i've got itunes it's the <laughs> same thing you've just blown this kid out and he's a genius and you know what i mean it's so stupid so the thing that i loved about napster <clears throat> was uh, so and and, and downloading music and uh, is that the the element that i used it for principally was not to get things that I could buy myself. I actually am still a nerd who goes to record stores on a regular basis and buys used CDs. I don't even buy vinyl. I buy used CDs. I love buying CDs. I still buy CDs on Amazon sometimes. But what I really loved was it suddenly made this world of bootleg live music and yes. unreleased music available and these yeah. troves of incredible stuff stuff that i'd be willing to pay for if someone was selling it but yeah, suddenly, of course. suddenly i got these you know amazing soundboard quality live rem albums believe me rem has taken every dollar they can for me i have bought all of their <laughs> albums and all of the reissues and and, probably, i was gonna say and probably on cassette as well <laughs> yeah, exactly and seen them 12 times in concert there <laughs> peter buck is not going to be mad at me for download. In fact, he usually encouraged people trading bootlegs back in the day. And in some ways, what you were doing then is you were also putting the, the predatory folks who would steal the records, steal the live stuff, and then sell them. You mm -hmm. were now just getting stuff that was traded in the old days for free. So I loved doing that, and I loved putting my own music on there and hoping mm -hmm. like someone would stumble past it or well, something. Well, that's the thing. Like It's the same thing with Spotify. Like. If I don't know who a band is, like like you said with Metallica, like you didn't know many Metallica songs. Are you going to go buy like five albums from them when you don't know anything about them? You may not like it. Whereas with like Spotify or Napster, you could be like, oh, I'm going to sample a bit of this. Oh, you know what? This is really good. I'm going to go get it off iTunes or whatever. So. so for someone like me, that's absolutely the case. You know, um, although in the Metallica case, I just decided I was like, Metallica is great. I, I accept that. I just have to purchase the key albums. I will start right. there. And then I'll yeah. dive in and read a whole bunch of listicle articles and figure out what the rankings are of the different albums and then proceed accordingly. <laughs> so <laughs> You're so well planned out with it. Oh, yeah. No, I did the same thing with Rush about, I mean, you know how important Rush is to me. I mean, one day uh -huh. I just woke up and was like, okay, time to learn about Rush. <laughs> oh. Do you just have like a dartboard and you just like throw a, like a dart at it and just pick the band for you or like a musician? I think that, you know, every there's a time in your life where you can't love every band or, or every show or every movie, right? Like there are certain great movies I've never seen like 
Gone with the Wind. Now, mm-hmm. I, I don't dispute its greatness, but I just if I see all of the great movies right away, then there's none left. And so mm-hmm. there's just a time for every... This My Metallica time started a couple of years ago. Excellent. Okay, so Metallica. All right. Here we so go. you enter the Sandman and Napster. We're definitely going to get back into those things. But let's start at the beginning. Um, they they introduce us to the two key characters who are James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. And the relationship mm-hmm. between those two has been uh, analyzed and, and talked about in a lot of different ways. And the difference between these two characters. You have this one guy, Hetfield, who's this kind of broken, serious character and then you have Lars who's the business minded creative artist former almost tennis pro yeah like <laughs> kid of like a pro tennis player or something yeah i mean <laughs> so he's just one guy who's kind of like fancy pants and this other guy who's just you know the definition of what you think about with metallica <laughs> yeah and and they come together in uh, they start in LA and then they move back to Northern California. I think that's what I think that's what happens. They start in LA. Yeah, because LA wasn't treating them right or something like that. Yeah, and I know you're a big LA fan, but being an LAologist that you are, do, uh, do you see how this could have played out for a band like Metallica? Oh, definitely. Because at the time that they were coming about, I think they mentioned it in the in the behind the music. Like it was the hair bands. They were taking over Sunset, and it was kind of like that was the era. You know, Guns N' Roses was kind of on the cusp of both, of, like, sort of, like, heavy metal rock and sort of, like, the glam rock is, you know, the, the wild hair and But stuff also like that. dangerous. Yeah. But no one's looking um, at Poison thinking they're dangerous. Sorry, Brett. I don't know. I probably did as a kid. Oh, I definitely did. I was afraid of all of these bands. Like, I definitely... <laughs> my, my parents... My parents didn't even know a single song of these. They never gave me any kind of judgment on them. But in my mind, I'm like, this was Satan music. It had, you know. <laughs> I, I think I saw one episode of Hard Copy or Current Affairs about some like oh my god <laughs> horrific thing that happened from some kids listening to you know a metal album backwards, and I was terrified of these bands. <laughs> oh, Hard Copy, just like. <laughs> <laughs> the worst propaganda ever. <laughs> until until I was like twelve or thirteen, and then I and then I sort of started getting into it more. Okay, so so these these two kind of strange uh, Oscar and Felix type of characters get together, and they start <laughs> off um, in a band with this guy Dave Mustaine, who eventually leaves and becomes the dude from Megadeth. Have you ever um, have you followed the feud between the fans of these two bands that this guy? Dave Mustaine apparently gets like was gets abused for like years, even though he's considered one of the great guitarists, for not being in Metallica and kind of vice versa with the band. Yeah, no, I I ha- I was not really aware of it to be honest. So I, I feel I will delve into it just because I like to see what so, people are saying to each other. So yeah, there you go. So Dave Mustaine's in. Dave Mustaine's in. He leaves Cliff Burton, the legendary bass player who a lot of people argue changed the way bass was played for metal, kind of created the the sound that Metallica influenced. And then Kirk Hammett, who again, one of the interesting things for me, Metallica, is the image of the skulls and the blood and the lightning. And then uh-huh. Kirk, Kirk Hammett always strikes me as this like, hey guys, <laughs> really nice guy. Yeah. You know, I got curly hair. 
<laughs> Want a cup I'm, of tea? I'm just here doing my guitar solos, <laughs> letting Larson. Like, you sing. know, he's the one in the band who wears earplugs on stage or something. You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> he's and, the and, sensible. And he's amazing, but he always just seems so sensitive with these other very intense yeah. characters. Uh, then they go into a, a a really interesting, detailed description of the effects of Jägermeister on yeah on people. Do you, have you ever drank and dr- drunken drinking drunken drinking that that drink? drunken drank drunk? Uh, have I ever drank Jägermeister? No. <laughs> I think I may have had it once at like a party in New Jersey. Um, of course. My, you know what? Visiting my friend Dave, my friend Dave Scharf, who was really the first person ever to play Metallica for me. He came to visit me in Montreal for a ski trip when we were teenagers, which was a ton of fun. And he brought with him because he had just gotten Metallica's box set. And the name of their box set was Binge and Purge. Okay. So this was also an educational experience because I had no idea what those terms meant until they were explained to me, <laughs> further reinforcing my fear of this band, that this is what they called their box set. Um, but anyways, if I ever had Jägermeister, I think it was at a party somewhere at one of his friend's houses. In any event, so this was a band that was also nicknamed Alcoholica yeah. because of their drinking. Not not so much known as a, a drug-oriented band, so I, I don't know if that makes them different or unique. But it um, it definitely is a is a component uh, to them. I, I don't. So I admit, like I drink alcohol, but I don't like it enough to ever consume the amount that any of these artists do. No, same. <clears throat> I, I just for me, I'm, I always say I'm an eater, not a drinker. Like if you've got that jelly donut and a beer, I'm picking the jelly donut every exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to hang with them. No. So the big moment that happens early on, the, one of the defining moments that Metallica doesn't recover from for a very long time, if at all, ever, is the death of Cliff Burton, their mm. first bass player. Do you have a recollection of this happening as it happened, or is it more just like a thing that is part of the lore for you? Um. No, I don't recall it happening at the time. Yeah, I, I, don't. I, I don't. This is just one of those things that happened before I ever heard of the band. Well, I mean, I only started listening to them a couple of years ago. But I mean, even when my friend was visiting me, Cliff Burton had already, had already, had already died in this, you know, terrible, tragic mm-hmm. um, uh, bus accident. Mm-hmm. And the story of the bus accident, by the way, is is horrific. I mean, it's up there with um, the dude's arm from. Def Leppard in terms of like horrific event of you know person being crushed under a a, a bus um so he dies the band's traumatized they need to keep going and they start trying out other people tons of other people including Les Claypool do you do you know who Les Claypool is from Primus Primus yeah Such a, I've seen them in concert once. Such a zany, amazing, wacky character. And they talked about it in the Behind the Music, but I had heard this story, so I was really, really glad that it came up again, was that he tried to lead Metallica in an Isley Brothers song. <laughs> Which, like, 
like I don't know. I, there's no like song that comes to my mind, but I'm just imagining him trying to lead them in like shout, you know, like shout. Which I don't <laughs> yeah. know if that's an Isaac Brothers song, but but that that song or or some sort of like bar mitzvah, you know, style rock and roll song where everybody puts their hands up and runs around in a circle. <laughs> See, when he said that in the in the behind the music, I actually thought he was just saying it was a joke. I didn't actually so, like. I think it was made, like a lore. In the behind the music, they made it sound more like a joke, but I had heard the story, I had heard the story in other scenarios as it was true, but maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't really true. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't, um, oh, they did write Shout. Okay, I'm not crazy. Um, there you go. Uh, uh, <clears throat> may, may, maybe it was more of a joke. I mean, Les Claypool's kind of a funny guy. Mm-hmm. So Newstead joins the band, and there's a really interesting thing that plays out later in in some kind of monster, which is that awesome documentary about Metallica that mm-hmm. came out a few years ago. Well, actually, it's like ten years ago. But that Newstead becomes the scapegoat for anything that's going wrong in the band, and he's never really treated as an original band member, which mm-hmm. to me kind of blows my mind because. This is before they they were they were respected and they were famous. Yeah, they this were, is before they hit it big. But they were about to become huge. Um, and for someone to go through that and feel like an outsider the whole time, that is mm. that is, and to be hazed constantly by these emotionally damaged I, people. <laughs> um, that 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 is wild to me. Have you ever have you ever been hazed in, like as the newbie? No, thank you, and I'm so grateful for not to have. <laughs> Me neither, really. I really avoid situations like that. Like, I went to yeah. one, maybe two rush events for a fraternity in college. I mean, they were mm-hmm. not cool at McGill, so it's not like I was missing anything. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to do this. This is not yeah, for me. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> and one of my buddies stayed in, in the frat, and he went through the rush experience. And he's like, it was crazy, but I liked it. And then it became his turn to do the hazing. And he was like, guys, we're not really going to do this, are we? This is terrible. And, and, <laughs> and they're like, no, we are. It's all right. And he's like, ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, it just, no. <laughs> it's, the it, whole situation is just wrong. It's hard. Um, so... I want to talk a little bit about the the Metallica fans. Do you know any hardcore Metallica fans? Um, I know one girl who's pretty pretty hardcore. She won a trip to go see them in London and meet them and stuff like that. Yeah. Whoa. So, yeah. what did she have to say about meeting them? Were they cool? Yeah, she said they were just like completely as you imagine them. Like she like she was chatting with Lars and stuff, and she was like, "He's a cool guy." You know, it was sort of like a meet and greet, so like they couldn't spend hours talking to each other. She's like, "But they all took time to say hi and speak to you, and you know, take your photo and sign autographs or do whatever you wanted to do." But yeah, she said that they were cool. So like, that to me is <clears> one <throat> of the things that I really didn't really get about Metallica until I saw them in concert but is reinforced by this behind the music is how much they really are gracious to their fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are, they describe themselves at one point as four lucky fans yeah. that got to make music. And having spent time now at a concert, they do the things that I wish more bands did like even a band like REM which I love I wish REM did some of the things Metallica did like for example after we saw the Metallica concert a couple days later you get a link and you can buy the entire 
soundboard quality version of Get that out. show. That's yeah. nice. So you go and you watch these guys, even if there are imperfections, maybe there were, maybe there weren't, but you go and watch these guys do an incredibly physical, demanding, musically impressive show. And it may not be 100% perfect. I thought it was amazing. And then they say, okay, for 10 bucks more, you get a souvenir of this because that's what our fans want. They want to feel a part of this. And I, I honestly only thought that was like bands like Fish and Pearl Jam did that. Uh, and that Metallica's out there just, you know, letting you have a piece of the show. To me, I didn't realize how consistent that was with the story until I started seeing them talk about their love of their fans. Uh, as part of this, um, you you win my heart over when like you've got respect for your fans. Yeah, absolutely. You know being I mean? being gracious to fans. It's yeah. I I went so uh, there's a band I like, Radiohead. Uh, um, but I've had an on and off relationship with them because this one time I went to see them, the whole crowd was cheering. One of the times I've seen them, this whole crowd was cheering to hear the song "Creep." That song that was their first oh, yeah. popular song. And Tom York kind of just laughed it off, and he was like, "No, that song's boring. We're gonna do something else." And and I, I was like, "How can you know? How can you stand in front of twenty thousand people and and not play the song they all want to hear?" Right? Yeah, like I get it gets boring for you, but you know what I mean. Like this is what pays the bills, buddy. And, and it's <laughs> like, three minutes, and it means a lot to people. Now I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen Radiohead since and enjoyed it. I'm gonna see them again this summer. So, uh, but but Metallica when when I saw them, like. They didn't leave anything on the table. They're like, nope, you're going to hear Master of Puppets. You're going to hear Battery. You're going to hear deep cuts that the hardcore fans want to hear. And there's going to be explosions. And it was wild. Okay. So speaking of fans, though, we we are fans. We we experience fandom. Sometimes fans start to think bands sell out or things like that. And we arrive Mm -hmm. at the Black Album. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you, you said you said Enter the Sandman when this show started. That is the thing that most of us first associate with this band. Yeah. The, yeah, totally. So how do, how do you, what do you make of a band? Do you ever, have you had a band where they were like yours and you felt, or a show, you felt it was like yours and you want everybody to know that they're amazing, but then everybody finds out they're amazing and you're like, ugh. No, I can't say I do because I'm like totally. I'd like to. I I like associating myself with people that love what I love and love it on the level that I love. So, if I know somebody like it, it people I I knew Tina Fey before Tina Fey was on SNL in terms of like she was a writer. Wow. And I knew her name and I followed her and then she became head writer and then she came on Update a year later. So I sort of already knew who she was. Like I knew she went to Second City and stuff like this. So I'd been following her. So now people are like, oh my God, Tina Fey. And I'm like, yay. Every, like people recognize how great she is, you know, and she's so successful. And yeah. That's, that's great. You know, one thing we try to teach our kids in our house is the importance of being happy for other people. Mm-hmm. And and everyone's able to, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, I, I try to do that as well. Every once in a while, I'll get a little bit, like, bummed if this thing that I've stumbled upon suddenly starts to get, like, I'm admitting this, like, you know, that gets loved by everybody. But I think particularly as I've gotten older, I, I, I'm generally just rooting for those things. To, yeah. Because because I want them to keep going and I'd rather have exactly. them be popular and keep going exactly than somehow somehow be uh, canceled or yeah exactly give up and right exactly like what good was you know Veronica Mars 
Well, I, I wasn't watching it when it got canceled, but I watched <clears> it later, and I was like, well, what good is Veronica Mars is a tiny little secret that no one knew about. It only got three three seasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, so in general, I think Metallica fans, looking back, you didn't want Metallica to get canceled exactly. you know, before the Black Album. And so they make they make the Black Album. Now, are you a Spinal Tap fan? Of course. And do you remember the Smell the Glove album? Yes. (laughs) So that had come out many years before. Oh, yeah. Many years before the Black Album. And in the Behind the Music episode, has one of the best clips I've ever seen, was there is a scene with the guys from Spinal Tap basically kind of ribbing them, being like, where'd this idea come from? And I they took it in stride. They took it in stride, though. Yeah, they they have much more of a sense of humor about themselves than I ever would have thought. I mean, they're mm. you know those serious lyrics. I mean, we used to jokingly in high school, we used to jokingly make up Metallica lyrics, like we just rhyme things like "Your democracy is my leprosy, is my <laughs> society." is my ferocity and we just you know write fake metallica lyrics so you kind of had this notion that these guys are somehow overly serious but they they seem to have a good sense of humor about that Uh, yeah that's like us there's another moment that i connected to which is when they played in russia now we both grew up in an equally cold country different places yes did you ever have the feeling that whatever band that you loved was just never going to come to your town or never going Constantly. to come to Canada. Constantly. So I really identified with these Russians who were so excited that Metallica, because they've been waiting their whole lives to see Metallica. Yeah. What, and then just what totally was, got the crap kicked out of them. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was the terrible thing that happened. <laughs> you're right. The terrible epilogue is the Russian <laughs> military beat them up. But what I wanted to key in was that feeling. So was there a band that did show up in Canada where you were like, oh, my God, I never thought I was going to get to see this band and I'm getting to see them? Um, I can't pinpoint one. I kind of just always thought they would never show up because like when you're a kid and like I grew up in Niagara Falls, which is like two hours from Toronto like it's like the biggest city to us and that's usually where people go so like two hours when you're like 13 is a hell of a distance you know what i mean (laughs) so it's just like why doesn't anyone come closer you know (laughs) you know i I, yeah it was just despair but um we eventually got there we usually got there (laughs) for for, whoever for me the the big moment was when rem on the monster tour came to montreal like they were Mm -hmm. i had never loved a band the way i love that band i mean i still they're still my favorite band but the fact that they were coming to montreal and a whole bunch of us um had tickets and we had a test the next day it was a talmud test because it was a jewish day school and the (laughs) five of us got together and studied like crazy and it was the only time i'd ever at that point in my life gone out the night before a test but this was the rem concert yeah you had to make an exception because this was this notion and i saw them and i'm like oh my god i might never see them again like without (laughs) ever thinking about the fact that like i would be a grown-up at some point yeah travel places so that so so me I I was a Russian that day or at least like the Russians in this story. But then yeah, it was terrible to hear that the, they were unaware of the band at that at this concert in Russia. Like there were yeah. it said two hundred rapes and eleven deaths oh. happened, 
And and I was trying to figure out like who was committing these, like the people in the audience, like the police, like the co- yeah, I don't know. Ugh. It didn't really say, and I think I'm a better person for not knowing because yeah. it's, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And and so speaking of heartbreaking, there's another legendary heartbreaking moment in Metallica history that took place in my town I grew up in, Montreal. Mm-hmm. Now, did did news of this event? Uh, I yeah, I remember. I remember that. You? Because I remember hearing, obviously, you know, about the aftermath, but then I remember hearing um, that pyrotechnics malfunction and Metallica were dead. You know, like, you know how the papers <laughs> over-exaggerate, oh, yeah. right? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I first heard about this story from my one of my babysitters, and I, I, I don't remember. So there were these three amazing sisters, wonderful people. Uh, they all babysat my family at different times. They lived in the neighborhood. Okay. I want to say that Tamara, the middle sister, um, uh, she she's the first person who told me about the Tragically Hip, and I think she was... I, th- I want to say she might have been at this Guns N' Roses. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to ask her. We reconnected recently. I'm gonna ask her. But I, re- I distinctly remember her or one of her sisters telling me the vivid story of being at the Olympic Stadium in Montreal. The Metallica guy, uh, James Hetfield, catching on fire. Then Axl Rose showing up 45 minutes late, and then going off stage, mm. and then being there in the front row as chairs just went hurling at the stage like over their heads and people <laughs> destroyed the stadium now as a kid it was kind of a humorous story now i'm a parent and i'm like oh my gosh yeah, someone's daughters yeah someone's daughters were at this event yeah um so that that was a big deal but then metallica has legendary status in montreal because they promised to come back and play and they did come back and play See, there you go. Uh, and Lars Lars throws a little bit of shade at Guns N' Roses, saying that they could have been the heroes. They could have come out. Yeah. And rocked the night and finished it off, but they didn't. Instead, Axel throws a fit. Now, I did see Guns N' Roses earlier this year on their reunion show, and yeah. I would say that Axel was actually quite gracious to the audience during that show. Really? And really playing it up for the fans. And other than Duff, who was amazing, Duff was by far the most fun member to watch. Axel was working the hardest out of anyone. So I think was it's Slash there. Slash was there. Slash, I I love him. I read his biography. It is my it's one of the few books I've read. Uh, it <laughs> it it is one of my favorite books I've ever read. But he looks like he is just on life support. Like they just like bring really? him up. From, they just like bring him up on the hydraulics. He oh, does the man. solo, and they 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 like bring him back down again. Uh, he he was he was great, um, but he he was pretty subdued. But Axel Axel Axel's working hard. I mean, people make fun of the way he looks now, but I I was I was impressed. It was it was special. Fair enough. But that Axel was not the Axel that was no in Montreal at that time. Okay, so after this crazy event of touring nonstop, of catching on fire, they take a two-year break. They make load, which is at the point where I, I wasn't following Metallica, but most of the people that I knew that were following Metallica kind of stopped at this point. Yeah. And one of the things they say about this album is they let Jason and Kirk play what they feel, which led me to two things. Number one, I, I hadn't really fully connected that Lars and 
James Hetfield had been the ones that were really designing the music at that point. They were really mm-hmm. the ones who were who were doing it. And then, uh, the, but the fact that they let these other guys play, you'd think would be a cool thing. But fans, I guess, weren't into it. Well, wasn't that the time they cut their hair as well? And they were oh, like, oh, you're right. That is the time they cut their hair. So do you think yeah. it was the music or the haircuts? Um, I'm going to lean more towards the haircuts. Oh, right. And the, yeah, the, uh, I mean, I, I believe that. I mean, that because if you listen to if you listen to all the albums, um, Loaded doesn't sound much different than the other. You know, it's the same style, same sound. So I don't know what they'd be getting cranky over that for at least a non-metallica super duper you know excerpts um and the the, there's another great moment they talk about whereas where the allison chains guy puts on his guitar i think it's jerry cantrell puts on his guitar that what metallica's in the audience at a show and he writes on the guitar friends don't let other friends give each other haircuts or something like that like friends or something like that (laughs) so all right, let's get to let's get to kind of the epilogue and then some of our fun questions. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, we were saying before the show started, this is almost like Metallica season one. It's like this is Metallica yeah. season one, and then Metallica season two is the Napster era with uh-huh. Lars, you know, going suing people. And and in fact, Weird Al Yankovic has a great song called "Don't Download This Song." Have you heard that song? I have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually performed it during the last tour that I saw him on. Oh, he, cool. he, by the way, another artist. He's making all of his shows from his last tour, where he played different set lists, available via streaming on Stitcher. This is something. I mean, that's something you do for fans. So, but like again, Metallica was doing it way before. So that that song takes some really funny shots at at Lars Ulrich. And and then so so I would say Napster is season two, and then season three is this era of some kind of monster where they they do this documentary, which I, I almost think that like if you watch if you watch this behind the music, you got to go watch the documentary because yeah, Newstead eventually leaves the band after being like hazed into oblivion or fired. Yes. I don't remember. They bring in Trujillo, and then they also bring in like Doctor Phil or so. Is that guy is the therapist <laughs> named Doctor Phil? Yeah, I think so. It's just like it, it's such a cool documentary, and it's so weird because so much of the movie is them with this therapist <laughs> talking to Lars about his feelings. Yeah, Lars selling his art. It's not what you're. It's not what you thought you signed up for, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So Metallica. So 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 we've now made Metallica the TV show. Okay, <clears throat> and you are okay. you are you know you will be a showrunner one day in our lifetime. You know award-winning i know it and if you were making metallica the show okay there are different genres of shows and i know and you're a lover of all tv which is a great quality one of your great qualities is that you love single camera you love multicam you love you know the longer form like i i've learned so much about the medium of television if you were making metallica the show Uh which format would you do it in would you do it office style? Would you do? And I don't know the names of these formats other than single that, camera. That was that was the first thing that came to my mind was like mockumentary. But then I was like, it's kind of been done with Spinal Tap, so I'm like, hmm, what format? I think I would kind of go like ER paced, like oh. um, like hour long drama. Well, that drama, I guess dramedy, because they are very funny. But like the very fast paced cuts and like oh. you know. 
um, dollying in and you know crash zooming and stuff like that. And that would be a great way to cut the music too, because their music is almost like like yeah. surgical operating. So <laughs> you could you could do like a suspense, you know. A suspense thing. That's great. All right. I'm watching this ER with Metallica. Now, I, I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't prepare you, but is there any casting in particular that you would you would do if you're thinking about casting the Metallica guys? Um, I think Skeet Ulrich would, would put fair in there. I think he's a good Lars. Yeah, he could, Skeet Ulrich playing Ulrich, Ulrich on Ulrich. That's brilliant. Yeah. I, yeah. I, th- I, think- I never even connected the two last names. I was just kind of going by like looks, and I was like, no, he kind of looks like him. But you're, you're, no, but he could also do the kind of emotional, the whiny, but also the tough look. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's kind of pretty boy, kind of tough. Yeah. So on one hand, I would see Hetfield played by like an obvious sort of like you know, tough tough guy character and mm. that you know on the other hand for some reason the first thing that came into my mind was Brad Garrett <laughs> which is totally it's totally wrong but now I'm imagining Brad Garrett now I need that in my life <laughs> Brad Garrett starring Brad Garrett as James Hetfield that's amazing please you need to pitch this to them because I think they'd be all aboard <laughs> uh, that one that one would work okay and and now every week we sorry do you have questions before i get to the body part is there anything on your mind I, I really... no i was just curious if you like sort of were like knew anybody that was at the concert but you've already covered that oh yeah montreal. Montreal concert. well i think yeah. i do i will i will i will verify this yeah you need episode. to follow up because i need to know <laughs> well when we, when we launch the episode we'll do an at mention and, and then apologize afterwards uh, okay cool yeah no so i anyways I saw them live. I bought the key albums. They truly are one of the great bands. And, and I would say Master of Puppets is really one of the best albums I've heard in my life. Yeah. And I'm glad that I... I have this whole... I, So I call this a Darth Vader scenario. Follow me here. Okay. This is actually one of my like foundational musical pop culture theories that one day will hopefully be a blog entry. Is that... Okay. Do you remember not knowing... Spoiler alert. Not knowing Darth Vader was Luke's father. Or do you just... It was always there. Um, well, I watched it on video as a kid, but I don't remember knowing. Like, I, re- I remember... Like, there's no moment like, of revelation for you. It's just there. No, no, no. Like, I don't remember knowing when I was watching the... Like, because I, I wasn't really oh. old enough to go see it in the theater. So, like, I was watching it, like, rented or something. So you were surprised? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. so I don't have that feeling. I don't remember not knowing Darth Vader's Luke's father. Like, that's how early I started watching the Star Wars movies. It's just part of effect. Really? But you're that much older. Th- are you older than me? You are, aren't you? Like, you couldn't have been that old to go see them in the theater. I like. am I'm 38. I don't know if I'm... Yeah, you're the same age as me, then. Yeah, I know we're, I know we're the same age, but, but it was that my parents started me watching it when I was, like, two years old. Like... Oh, okay. <laughs> or three years old on video. What if they, like, give you a spoiler alert? Like, by the way, the final uh, reveal. <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember, but I just don't remember not knowing. And mm, I always am jealous of people that get to have that experience for the first time of like oh my god even though oh my gosh we, we had that experience at work because one of the one of the girls is watching breaking bad for the first time and i was like oh my gosh hurry oh. up and finish it oh i've never seen it so or i watched oh. 12 minutes of the first episode and i was like this is too sad for me i have to turn it off oh it's but it's so good <laughs> I, I i reckon so this is one of those things maybe we'll get to later in okay. terms of like i'll watch one day but so i have this thing is that like there are these darth vader moments where like you can by not seeing something when you're young and have it always be part of your 
cultural knowledge, you get the joy of experiencing it for the first time as if you were, you know, in, in a very aware state. So an example I have is um, the Rolling Stones album Sticky Fingers. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear that until I was in my late 20s, as recommended by my friend Andrew. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. This is one of the best albums I've ever heard. Same thing with Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. Same thing for me with the movie Casablanca. Only saw that about four or five years ago. And I was like, whoa, people, have you seen Casablanca? It's amazing. <laughs> by the way, there are some really catchy lines in this movie. <laughs> and so... Uh, please tweet out all your recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, exactly. If people, that's like when I went to Chicago for the first time. I'm like, have people heard of this place? It's amazing. They got good pizza here. The people are nice and the food's amazing. Uh, so, so for me, um, hearing Master of Puppets in my late 30s, like I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And someone heard this for the first time in the 80s, but I'm hearing it now, and it's just incredible. Do you have any of those things that you discovered later where you're like, oh, wow, I'm feeling this for the first time? Um, God, you're putting me on the spot, man. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to rack my brain. Oh, gosh. I, can... guess pro- oh, I guess probably some of like, the British comedies. Oh, that's a great example. That Paul showed me like, since I've been over here. Because like, we got a few. Like, we got like, Ab Fab and stuff like that. But, yeah, he's shown me some of like the older stuff. Like some others do have them, and I was like, "Oh my god, this this show is great!" You know, like. Oh yeah, there's like a whole deep level of British comedy that you don't. Oh yeah, get. there's loads. Even in Red Canada. Dwarf. So, wait, so there's another podcast I listen to called "We Don't Know What We're Talking About," and it is awesome, by the way. Okay. By these lovely people uh, who are, by the way, Pink Rabbit, who is one of the hosts. She goes by her Twitter handle, huge gold nerd, huge Goldbergs fan. In fact, yeah. she talks about having her own personal version of the Bevolution on one of their episodes. So <laughs> I think you guys would be friends. You guys need to know each other. I will need to listen to this tomorrow. Um, it is lovely. It's these two women, and they pull uh, a topic out of a hat every week. And, and you could just, how, they love talking to each other, and they talk about things that, some most of the things I'm really interested in. So anyways, it's really wonderful and uh they what were we just talking about british comedy oh yeah and they did a whole riff on red dwarf the other day and how oh, great wow. it is and how they rewatched it from the beginning and her her boyfriend was like really into the show or she showed it to him, whatever it was like they have the whole collection of it and i was like oh my goodness i remember that used to air at like five o'clock in the morning on like cjoh or whatever ctv or something really like that. i had never heard of it until i came over here and i used to like but as a as like a nine-year-old in montreal like i did not understand that, sh- that show must be funny, but not to me at that age. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I'm like, I don't get it. Where, where this is in What's space? Happening? Where's the fighting? Like, he is not a cat. What's happening? <laughs> exactly. Um, so Red Dwarf, exactly. Like I want to go and watch Red Dwarf from the beginning now, and that's cool, awesome. That in in one week I've heard Red Dwarf come up twice. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. So the moment you've been waiting for, which is the body part showdown. Mm-hmm. Now this is a little bit tougher because I, there isn't. I don't know. Maybe maybe you have a feeling on if there is a signature body part that we should be talking about. Do you mm-hmm. have Do you have one? Because I, I have I have a couple of suggestions, but you know which, which one do you want to put up against Shania's midriff? I don't know. You've always got like Headfield's like mustache and like. See, that was I was Headfield's mustache was really where I where I was going. We're back at <laughs> mustaches keep coming back. That to me that yeah. he doesn't have it anymore. That was the only thing. But I yeah, guess true. But I guess David Cassidy doesn't have his hair anymore. And we we put that. his. What? 
Because <laughs> we put, we, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. So we put that <laughs> okay. up against. His... <laughs> okay, so, all right, take a position. Shania's midriff versus James Headfield's like black album era mustache. That big, thick. That big, handlebar, thick handlebar mustache. Hmm. Man, this is tough. I'm gonna go with. You know what? I'm still gonna stick with Shania. Yeah, Shania's midriff is the body part to beat right now. Yeah. What's your What's your reasoning though in this case versus the Headfield black well, or a mustache? Because like I was trying to rationalize why I would pick the mustache, and I was like, it's pretty rock and roll. I'm like, yeah, but it's not really original, is it? Like you didn't really, you know, no one was talking about the mustache. But then I keep going back to your logic, like she had to overcome the the navel, and I was like, yeah, man, she fought, she broke down some barriers. So that that's right. She, you know, the next time when we find a brown baking body part, that can beat Shania's midriff. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, I agree, Shania's midriff is the reigning champion of the mm-hmm. rock and roll body part showdown. It really, yeah. So all that being said, is there anything you want to plug or shout out or anything you want to do before we get going? Uh, I haven't really got anything in the pipeline right now. Just just trying to have a summer. Just yes. trying to chill out. Uh, that's awesome. So, till the new season kicks off and, you know, life becomes crazy. I, I hope all of our Gold Nerds friends are having a summer right now. Such good people. I, I hope so. They really are. Um, and where can people follow you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, comedy underscore girl. And on Instagram, I'm improvinator. Awesome. And yes, you are super fun to follow, so I highly recommend people do that. <laughs> and you can follow me at pancake 4 table on Twitter and Instagram or pancake4table.com. If you enjoy the buttery tones of my voice, you can also check me out with my sisters on the Friday Night Movie Podcast. And um, and I think that's that's it for our show this week. And mm-hmm. I'll have to... I'll, I'll do our, our little outro. We... we um, we rode the lightning. We found justice for all. We seeked. Let the Sandman. We, we yeah exactly. We, we let the Sandman enter. We seeked and destroyed. We got the success, heartbreak, passion, fame, fortune, and glory of Metallica. Ash, thank you for another fun show. Thank you, sir. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.